Steve Mathis production. Hello, Pulp fans. Keep using that M-A-T-T-H-E-S code at btosports.com and be sure to click the Amazon banner on pulpmx.com for your non-moto purchases. Your support makes it possible for us to continue to deliver your moto fix, and we thank you. episode of the Steve Mathis show there is a high chance ability you will either learn something a lot of people don't know you left thinking Duh. or make you say to yourself dude that's so funny the bottom line is this podcast serves as archival documentation of this interview welcome to the racer x podcast show brought to you by btosports.com hosted by Steve Mathis Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast show. I'm your host, Steve Mathis. As usual, if you hear any other host's name, then it's not the real RacerX podcast. But anyways, in my never-ending quest to help you guys, the listeners, get more informed about our sport, I've decided to, uh, to take all avenues to, to entertain you guys and uh, help you out. So with that in mind, here's a, here's a guy behind the scenes tr- working away and, uh, and making sure that uh, everybody looks good and does the proper things. And I want to give you guys a little bit of insight as to what another side of the industry is like. So with that being said, let me introduce my guest, Monster Energy Kawasaki Racing PR Guru, Tom McGovern. What's up? Steve, how you doing today, man? How's the weather in Vegas? Uh, it's hot. Yep, it's hot. Um, it'll be That's hot. not good to hear. I got to go to Phoenix tomorrow for a Cali event. And oh. I, I was hoping you'd say it's a, oh, it's a nice 85 degrees. Yeah, no, it's hot today. It'll be hot tomorrow. It's hot the next day, and it'll probably be hot the other day after that. Um, uh, yeah, good times. Tom, uh, Monster Tom, we call you uh, in the pits. And uh, I thought it'd be interesting to call you up and talk to you. You know, we've had plenty of, uh, of conversations about one of your old jobs, your new job, and uh, I really think you're one of the guys that, like, we're so wrapped into this thing week in and week out, the sport of motocross, supercross, that a guy like you comes from the outside a few years back. I always like to get your thoughts on stuff, you know? And uh, and I think this will help people out. I think this will educate some people. Nah, I, I, hopefully uh, hopefully everybody will uh, agree 100% with me and, uh, <laughs> and I'll look like the smartest man alive. But right. truth be told, I, I think it will be uh, hopefully I'll open some eyes and say, hey, yeah, you know what? To see it from that side, you're right. It does. It does work that way. Or yeah. It does work that way. Yeah, exactly. And and, and also too, um, um, I just think you're an uh, entertaining, funny guy. We have. Oh well. And we have funny. Sh- lot, funny how we have shared clown? some hotel rooms. Not in that way. You have let me crash <laughs> in your room a few times. So, dude, there's um. a story behind that that I can't put on the air. But you you ruined the night for me by crashing my hotel room when in uh, Toronto. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Um, I apologize. You, you for ruined that. it, but it was nothing I did. Nothing I did. No, it was not your fault. Just me still. being there, right? <laughs> uh, hey, let's uh, let's get right away. Let's talk a little bit now. You, your main job is Kawasaki PR guru guy, but you actually work for Next Level 
Management, uh, which is a company owned by Tony Gardia, um, and sort of explain that situation a little bit. Yeah, actually, back in 2007, Tony, uh, uh, through a mutual friend of mine, Tony gave me a call, or I, I might have even called him, uh, had heard a rumor that uh, the Cowie job was opening up, called him up, talked to him for about five minutes, and I was like, man, I can't believe I'm moving from Indianapolis to California. This is going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then flew out and actually did an interview and all that, but I knew right away that you know working with Tony was what I wanted to do um, as the next step in my career. So I came on board at Next Level Sports Management um, as the uh, account manager for the uh, Kawasaki Racing PR. So, you know, for, for most of the folks listening, they, they see that as uh, as a Supercross motocross team. And, and for the first two years, that's pretty much exactly what I did. I was, right. uh, you know, the, the PR guy for the, for the race team on Supercross motocross. But as, as account manager, you know, we also oversee all the entire Team Green uh, PR, the, the pro off-road, flat track. Um, at, at the time when I came over, we were still involved in road racing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so all the different disciplines that Cowie is involved in, you know, we, we would do all the racing PR. Right. And uh, so you kind of had to be a, a jack of all trades. And, and it was amazing to me as I came into the sport. Master of none, McGovern, master of none. Master of none. That is very true. <laughs> but uh, I came into the uh, came into the sport. My first ever Supercross motocross race that I'd been to in person was uh, A one in two thousand and eight. Okay. So I had never. Like, I remember going out to the test track for the first time, and I'm like, "Wow, this is awesome!" <laughs> like, man, I, I, um, people, I would pay to see this. And then you know. About a month and a half later, I go to the race. I'm like, man, about forty thousand people paid to see this. Apparently, yeah, so, yeah exactly. Uh, pretty good, pretty cool event. The, but we'll, we'll touch on it later in the show. But and what did you do previous to working for Next Level? Well, before Next Level, uh, I'll, I'll give you a quick rundown of my whole career. I started out at University of Florida and uh, as a sports broadcasting major. That I turned that into an internship with NASCAR. And so I worked at a NASCAR's corporate headquarters in Daytona Beach as an intern, then a full-time job. Uh, when I left there, I was doing PR for, at the time, it was the Bush Series, and uh, actually was had an offer to go up to Indianapolis and work with Team Cool Green in IndyCar racing, or at the time it was CART, or stay on board and, and do the uh, Bush Series PR. And, um, and probably the smartest move I've ever made, I, I left the billion-dollar TV contract world in NASCAR to go to open-wheel racing that was... <laughs> At the time, uh, just starting to flounder really bad. So, was it, so, so you, went, was, you went there after the split. I was going to ask you about that. That was one of my questions I have written down. But So you were there after the split. Yeah, I, got, I moved up there in 2000. The split happened in uh, 95. So it was still the heyday. Like 2000, right. 2002 was like <laughs> we were on a gravy train. But uh, 2002 on, that's when, uh, that's when it started really, you know, the split really started taking effect. And. Right. And he saw sponsors drop, and you know, the team I was with, we actually went from cart to the IndyCar series, um, and then I actually went left that team and went back to uh, cart, which at that time was named Champ Car. So it was uh, it was yeah. a good time. I was actually at Champ Car, um, getting ready to travel to the Servers Paradise Australia race when I got the call from Tony, yeah. and uh, uh, flew out to California on a, on an off Saturday. Uh, accepted the job, flew back home, turned in my notice. They said, well, don't bother going to Australia. I said, cool, because i got to pack up my house and drive yeah. to California. <laughs> and uh, 
Jovan out and started November first, uh, twenty two thousand seven at uh, at Kawasaki. Um, I didn't. You know, you think you know somebody? I had no idea about the NASCAR internship. Oh yeah, I, I didn't know. Dude, didn't know that about you. Wow. I am. I could possibly be one of the luckiest people on earth. I've never sent out a resume for a job. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was. I got the internship. Somebody came to our school, and I was like, "Hey, dude, that sounds like something I could do." Right. And I and I had actually been down there and covered the Daytona 500 for uh, our campus TV station, uh-huh. and uh, and I was talking to them. I was like, "Hey, I want to get a job. Or I want to intern with MRN and right. and be on the broadcasting side." They were like, "Yeah, dude, you don't understand how this business works." And I didn't, but they said, "If you go into PR, you're going to be really happy." You know? So I went and talked to the PR guy, uh-huh. uh, a guy by the name of John Griffin, and he's like. He goes, man, you know, we haven't had an intern as long as I can remember. If you want to come and start that program, let's see what we can do. Uh-huh. And day that, two, I was writing press releases. So Was that the guy who passed away maybe a year ago? No, that was uh, Jim Hunter. Oh, okay. uh, Jim, At that time, Jim was up at Darlington Raceway still. He actually came in and replaced John uh, okay. about... 2002-2003. All right, yeah, that I guess that guy seemed like a pretty good dude. Uh, he was. Uh, Jim Hunter was amazing. Yeah. I remember, you know, working with him. Um, one of my, one of my first jobs there was uh, we used to host a weekly teleconference with the Bush Series and Craftsman Truck Series uh-huh. uh, drivers every Tuesday at two o'clock, and I had a list of calls that I had to make to call the journalists and you know make sure that they were going to call in and yeah. and get get the quotes they needed. Yeah. You know, I remember calling all these names that I've, I've been reading or see on TV, and hey, just want to remind you this is going on. And uh, Jim was on that list because he was also writing for uh, the state in Columbia, mm-hmm. and he's and he just introduced himself to me, and and he's like, hey, what are you doing anyway? And I'm like, oh, I'm you know the intern here. Right. He goes, man, when I was there, we used to have interns. Man, we used to work those guys hard. How, are they treating you well? You know, if they're not, let me know, and we'll talk to we'll talk to Bill, and we'll make sure everything goes out well. Yeah, and I'm like, that's funny. Oh, wait a second, dude, I'm Bill. just some lowly intern. Dude. You don't to, have to look out yeah. for me. Talk to Bill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bill Franz, that would be. Um, exactly. Uh, that, that's, yeah, I didn't know that monster. Now, uh, and we'll touch on that in a little bit. 2011, uh, well, 2008, 2009, you were at, all the races, or many of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, I went to all but, I think, four races from 2008 through 2010. Right, and basically, you, you know, you're uh, handling the PR for the teams, Pro Circuit included, uh, Pro Circuit yep, Cowboys Pro Circuit guys included. as well. Uh, you know, press conferences, getting the word out, lining everything up, doing all that. This year, though, uh, ha- not at the races anymore. You took a step back. No, it, it, it's actually, you know, like, it's cool to say it's a step back. It, well, it's I working mean, out well for me. I don't mean a step um, we, back. I don't mean yeah, it's a, I, I mean back from going traveling every week, monster. Come yeah, on. no, it's for the last eleven years I've been on the road, average of two hundred to two hundred and fifty days a year, and uh, that just wears on you after a while. Right. I mean, um, I, I still consider myself pretty young. I'm thirty four years old, so you know, may, maybe it's time to not. You know, I spent my entire twenties on airplanes or mm-hmm. in hotels, and that's awesome. Don't get me wrong; like, I don't want to. Don't want to make it sound like it. Oh, dude, my what was my life? And I'd have been better off in Ethiopia. At Going the time, to Surfers but... Paradise was really tough. I tell you <laughs> yeah, what. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. But uh, but at the same time, you know, it does wear on you, and you know, you're like, hey. Um, so I, I talked to Tony, and and we actually uh, were able to fit a pretty decent role in at Kawasaki, where I'm mm-hmm. I'm still still involved with the race team a lot. Like, still go down every day and get crap from Mike Williamson and right. and Dana, and but. Uh, and still, and still oversee that whole account. But I also work on some of the product stuff now, and it's actually been really cool. I've been able to to experience a lot more of what Kawasaki's all about. Right. 
thing for to, to keep the pun going. You know, I'm letting the good times roll on oh, Jesus. Come uh, on, on three bikes <laughs> and. <laughs> Uh, no, the, the new thing is proof. Do you have proof that this is? <laughs> well, KX is proof. Oh, okay. Is, yeah. it, but we have do we have different taglines for different uh, for different brands or sub brands within uh, within Kawasaki. So. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so all our KX models and the it, dude, the proof is right there. Like wow. Yeah, I mean, we saw what happened at Unadilla. I have on the two fifty. <laughs> we saw what happened at Unadilla, no doubt about it. Exactly. Now, um, uh, and, you know, it's funny because I, I get involved. I, I mean, I'm a Supercross motocross guy my whole life. Been a mechanic, racer, then mechanic, and now I'm covering it as, as a media guy. And I never take a step back and take my put, put my head up to look around. But, like, the racing part of Kawasaki is just a small, small cog in this giant machine, isn't it? Oh, exactly. I mean, you know, Kawasaki is somewhere, I want to say right now, they're at 300 employees, and the racing program is 12. Yeah. So, um, but the the thing of it is, is one of the biggest public faces of Kawasaki is the racing program. You know, that's where, that's where people become, you know, that's where they build their allegiance. Um, you know, if you go out on one of our products, you're going to have a blast and you're going to be like, man, this cow is awesome. And I want to, I would, you know, I want to, this is something I want to do all the time. I want to let the good times roll. Exactly. But at the end of the day, you're gonna you're gonna do that with your group of people, and and you're gonna you're gonna preach the Kawasaki gospel. But you know everybody else is gonna, if they're not experiencing it, they're gonna be like ah I don't know. But then if they maybe see Ryan Villapoto on TV or Jake Weimer, mm-hmm. you know Dean Dean Wilson having fun, you know picking on Monster Girls or trying to pick up Monster Girls, you know you're gonna it's gonna be awesome for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're and that that's the public face, and and you're gonna be like man, you know that Monster Cowie team's awesome. I want to be a part of that. Well. You know, you you are a part of that because we're all one big team green family. Right, right. Well said, Monster. I like it. You can tell you're pol- <laughs> you're polished. You're just polished. I try. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I'm working off my notes here in media training. So you yourself. So uh, so you you enjoy it. I mean, do you miss going to the races? You obviously probably do a little bit, but you know what? I I grew up like I grew up playing sports in high school, and you know my physique doesn't really show it. And you know the fact that I ran a marathon what two years ago, and nobody believes me. Not even uh, Yoko, who runs Cowie's racing program. He actually laughed, right. and I had to bring my medal into the into the office to prove to him that I finished. But uh, but you know I grew up in the team sports atmosphere. Played baseball through high school, um, and then you know going in and and more and then working with the, the race team in Indy for four or five years, I can't you know, I forget how long exactly it was, you get this really good team feeling. And you mm-hmm. want it, you know, it's like you're you're a part of something that's right. bigger than you and you're and you know, everybody's working towards the same goal of winning and winning championships. And and I left that team in two thousand five, went to work for a sanctioning body and literally I was in, on the, you know, victory circle every weekend. Right. And it just didn't mean anything because, you know, oh, well, <laughs> yeah. I knew after the race I had to go to Victory Circle. Yep. You know, then I come back to a team and I'm like, you know, A1, uh, I think we finished uh, second and third with Timmy and James my first race. Right. Um, I know I know for sure I was at the podium and I was like, man, this is the feeling I want. This is, yeah, we're on the podium. We did something. Look at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, you get that feeling and that's what I miss about uh, you know, working the day to day with the team is is yep. being a part of that team. You know, it's a close knit group of guys, and and when you're you know when you're traveling as much as we do, and you're on the road as much as we are, 
I mean, it's it's your family, and it's it's a good time, and and you got you know everybody there's qual there's squabbles here and there, and and not everybody gets along every every day, and that's what makes it fun. Right. Um, you get Barnhart or truck driver Big B. He'll stir the pot if he sees a little bit of irritation between two people. <laughs> yes. Oh, that you know, forget about it. You get a divide as big as the Grand Canyon coming up in a minute. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, you're right. You know, I found the same thing. Like when I was uh, on a Yamaha team, and and you know, Chad was winning a lot. I was happy. I was happy for his mechanic. I was happy for the team that we were winning. I didn't feel the personal satisfaction as much, maybe, but I was happy for the other guys. And it does. It does help your team out. It does help everybody on the team when you're doing well. Consequently, when when you're sucking, it's terrible. You don't want to go to work. Everybody's miserable. You know what I mean? Like it's funny how we're all grown men, but our emotions do ride on these yeah. these dumb riders and how they do. Oh, <laughs> exactly. I mean, imagine you know, all of us are NFL fans, and all of us have a favorite team. And you know, growing up for me, it was Miami Dolphins and Dan Marino and. Dude, my life was ruined if the Dolphins didn't win on Sunday, yeah. and I, you know, I'd go a whole week and just be t- devastated. And I'm like, oh, I'll throw this eventually, but no, but. I really, don't. I haven't. <laughs> you know, now it's now it's work though, so now it's yeah. man, I, I have to go in the office and I have to look at this right square in the face. And, and you had uh, three years of working with Tim Ferry. Wow, that must have been great. Uh, you know what? Probably the three best years of my of my life. That's we what I'm we actually about. just moved offices here at Next Level, uh, and uh, we're we're trying to figure out what kind of artwork we want to put on the walls, and and we wanted to kind of represent right. the different accounts that we uh, that we work with. And so for mine, I uh, you know I want to do a factory Cowie shot, and I'm like, you know, I could go with James, I could go with Ryan, but man, I got to find that that perfect 15 shot because. <laughs> Deep down, I like Timmy a lot. He's a really, really good guy down to earth. How um, was the one five with the PR stuff? Pretty good, right? You know, he was very good, and he he understood it. Yeah, that's the that's the biggest thing is you know, as, and you've seen it even with Chad this year, um, where as as you get a little bit older, you get a little bit more mature, you understand that hey, the PR side is the you know that's that's where your bread's buttered. Yeah, and that's where that's where you're gonna get that's where you're gonna make your money is. And yeah, it's a pain, dude. Like, think about it. If you go out and ride a twenty-minute moto, just practicing, just having fun out at the track one day. Yep. Imagine coming right off the track, having somebody stick a microphone in your face and asking you to talk about what just happened out there. And oh yeah, you got to remember to say all your sponsors, but you got to do it so that the people on the message boards aren't saying, "Oh, this guy just ruins his interviews because he just lists all his sponsors." Like, mm-hmm. it's like imagine trying to do that. Just you know, go go run the staircase in your office or at your house for 10 minutes and then try and talk coherently. Yeah. And that's what these guys end up doing. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's a big part of their job. So let me ask you this, not to interrupt you, sorry, but so yeah. there's, a, there's a definite difference between dealing with um, uh, a Tim Ferry versus the kids over at Pro Circuit Team. Like, you, you see it. You notice it. For sure. It, especially, you know, and Pro Circuit Team is kind of a different uh, animal in that, you know, they're those guys are – pretty mature when they get there mm-hmm. you know yeah. you know kawasaki and mitch work together to, to put together the best you know 250 program or lights program depending on if it's supercross or motocross season um and you know those guys you know, like they, we brought over tyla and uh and he came over as an mx2 champion yeah and i, I actually i actually remember we did media training a couple of years ago it was weimer's first year on the on the when he was with mitch's program at, at uh pro circuit and so we had uh, – it was Austin Stroop, uh, Weimer, Ryan, 
Um, and I believe Timmy was in there as well. Mm-hmm. And I remember Weimer just blew everybody away. Right. Like, I, I had never met him before that day. This was like, you know, he signed in October. This was, you know, mid-November. We're doing this media training. And he's, he's answering questions. I'm like, man, we hit the jackpot with this kid. Right. He's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and, he, he is pretty good. I mean, it, it truly depends on personalities, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, think about it. If you're a shy person, you're not going to want to talk in front of the microphone. You're just yep. going to want to, you know, you're going to answer the question that's given, and, and that's it. And that's, you know, if that's your personality, that's um, your personality. You can't, you can't fault you for not being outgoing and happy. But overall, and, and certainly, you know, I, I know you're, you're well-read in the sport, other types of media and other teams and other riders. Overall, how are we as a sport? With the PR side compared to where you've come with NASCAR and IndyCar, how are we? It, are we good? It's it, we're we're okay. We're you know uh, I to tell you like a, a cool story. of Me coming over here is uh, when I was at Champ Car, you know I, I would read Sports Business Journal on a weekly basis, right. and uh, it was two days after I accepted the job to come to uh, to come work for Tony. There was a big uh, front page. And it ended up being like a, a four-page uh, special section on Supercross and its growth and how great it is. And mm-hmm. and I remember Bruce Sternstrom was like, you know, these are the key people. And I'm like, wait, Bruce, that Bruce Sternstrom, man. and that's a guy I'm reporting to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait a second here, man. And and at the in the same issue of Sports Business Journal, it was, hey, Champ Car is on the decline, and and this is why Champ Car is going to be a failure. And I'm like. Man, did I make the right choice here or what? This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And and reading that, and and I think the the big thing that that the sport of Supercross motocross uh, faces is you have your very diehard fans who've been here since the beginning, and mm-hmm. it is a niche sport. And they're they're those niche fans, and they, they know everything there is to know about the sport. Yeah. And and I learn from them every day, and uh, and they kind of get bitter when this starts to go a little mainstream. Yeah. And so you're trying to keep that, that fan base happy because at the end of the day, those are the people that are buying the bikes. They're the ones riding on weekends, riding during the week, and buying the products that allow us to go racing. But at the same time, we want to expand the sport and grow in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And that's difficult to do when you're looking at it and you're like, man, you know what? You know It'd be awesome if we get the LA Times to come cover every race. Or yeah. the, a, a perfect example is the Associated Press. They, you know, they're the syndicate for news stories. Uh, I know, you know, the the PR folks who work with the series at both, you know, Supercross and Motocross. After every race, they they file with AP the agate, which is the finishing order. Mm-hmm. They also write a short story that goes out on the AP wire. Well. Nobody, you know, all the newspapers that are members of the APYR, they have the choice to pick it up or not. Well, when they see what, what's coming across, they usually don't pick it up because it doesn't have a byline on it. It's not written by an AP writer. Right. At Champ Car, at Card, at NASCAR, there's an AP writer at every event. Mm-hmm. And so the odds of their story getting picked up and, you know, running in, you know, the Temecula newspaper right. or, you know. Yeah, anybody. You know, the, yeah. The, small, the smaller papers that are, are looking for content most times, if they see an AP byline and they're like, "Oh yeah, hey," and you know what, there was dirt bikes in our neighborhood. Yeah, we should we should do you know we should run this story. Mm-hmm. So it, and you know it's, so the battle is trying to get AP to goal. come cover the yeah. stories. Yeah, and it amazes me because you know at a Supercross you have 
45,000 people 17 weekends a year who come out to the event. Mm-hmm. That's equivalent to, uh, you know, a, let's say minor league baseball that gets covered in AP. Right. Or right. well above minor league baseball. It's yep. Yep. Where else do you get 45,000 people average to come out to an event? And it doesn't get, and that's without the media coverage. Right. Imagine what the demand would be like if, if that media coverage was there. Uh, uh, yeah, I agree. That's the battle, right? Like why? Well, the, I always feel like those, those mainstream guys, they are going to, uh, they're going to follow you kicking and screaming, going on vital MX and throwing a tantrum no matter what. So you almost got to move ahead without those guys and they'll, no, it, they'll it, be there. You exactly. Know? You don't, you don't really want to alienate them, but at no. the same time, they're true fans of the sport. They're like, going to follow the sport you, all the way through. You'd have a hard time convincing me that, that uh, MX Sports' mm. move to Saturday Nationals has not been a good thing. We've been able to get a great TV package uh, because of it, arguably better than Supercrosses, uh, and, and a lot of it is attributed to going away from the NASCAR races on Sunday. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, when, like, I would when, never say it. Yeah. And – but From when a that fan Saturday, standpoint, but, but when you that's, go to one, maybe yeah. two, even five races a year, when the Nationals were two days, and I only did one year of the Nationals at two days. But, man, that was a lot. Those That extra day, right. which ended up being 12 extra days, mm-hmm. that's a lot. Um, also, and also too, it, I mean, the kicking and screaming when, Davey, when MX Sports and Davey Coombs moved it to Saturday was unbelievable. People calling yeah. for the demise of the sport and things like that. And it's all fine. It's all worked out, and it's worked out for the better. No, absolutely. And, I mean, yeah, the you know, part of the growth of the sport is behind the movie called Any Given Sunday. Or on Any Sunday, I'm sorry. Any Given Sunday was a football movie. It was movie a football movie, yeah. <laughs> Al Pacino. <laughs> Great speech by Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, on Any Sunday is the, uh, you know, is the genesis of the, the big growth of the sport. Uh, you know, early on, and yeah, now that it you know it doesn't apply because we're race on Saturdays. That's uh-huh. that's not smart thinking at all. Like, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> absolutely. Hey, do you find? I've always thought, and none of the big name riders listen to this show, so I can just say this. But I'm <laughs> kidding. But I've always thought that our sport, the James Stewart's, the Chad Reed of you know three years ago, um, the Villapoto, they their salaries exceed what our sport is. Um, I believe, uh, and I, maybe you can call me a communist here, but I always believe that we need to get, you know, everybody in the main event making money and being a professional instead of the, the money going to the top three or four guys. Do you feel that way? Do you think that our top three or four guys in our sport control 80% of the wealth and as well, um, maybe don't always get the PR game. I it, it's hard for me to answer that because mm-hmm. I come I'm a, I'm a factory guy. I've never been involved in the sport from yeah. a, from anything but a factory standpoint. But, but just looking at how way, big our sport is, the way I look is, at like... it is, and this may come off as harsh, and you know I'm probably gonna get lit up on vital when I say it, but the people who buy tickets buy tickets to see James Stewart, Chad Reed, Ryan Villapoto. They're not like. They're but, not buying tickets to see, you know, Bob Jones, right. who's the local kid from. Well, that kid may be fast, and you know what? Congratulations on making the making the night program. But, but, but guys who are struggling think, to make the night program aren't uh, the guys who uh, are, who are selling the tickets. I agree, and I, and I did say main events. You know, guys in the main yeah. events. Um, 
you know, I would argue too, the guys go to NASCAR to see Earnhardt Jr. and Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson. But there's a guy named Marcus Ambrose or a guy named David Reagan who is making a very good living doing what he's doing. You the, know? the difference there, though, is in NASCAR, they're like when I when I worked there, we used to get the entry forms every every week, mm-hmm. and it showed how the purse payout was done. Yep. If you look at just at just the purse payout for the events, and granted, this was ten years ago now, so right. the numbers are are greatly. I, I would hope they're a lot bigger now, but. When you were make it, you know you if you finish you know thirtieth or or below, you didn't make enough to pay to go to the next race. But the caveat on that is on top of the purse payout, they also NASCAR mandated that television money had to go to the riders as well. So they you know at the time it was ESPN was a t- television partner. Mm-hmm. They paid the they paid. Rights to broad, or for the rights to broadcast the race, so that that yeah. television money, a pool of it went directly to NASCAR, mm-hmm. a, a pool of it went to the tracks, but then the majority of it was spread out amongst the racers. Yeah, and we don't. And have that's that. why. Yeah. That's why the Daytona 500 paid so much more, and the Indy or the Breaker 400 mm-hmm. paid so much more, is because those television contracts for those individual events were bigger than you know at. You know, yeah. New or New Hampshire or whatever. Right. But then they went in and they they actually did a uh, uh, right the year I left they did the billion dollar TV deal with Fox and NBC mm-hmm. and like then the purses exploded like in a great way. Yeah. And, and and we're at a point where we're paying everybody's paying to get our our series on on exactly. TV. Yeah. And and so you can't say you know you can't be like hey you know. We, you know, I'm sure the AMA and and Davey and and Feld would love to be would love to make enough money that they pay the, the lower guys, right. the guys who finish twentieth. Like um, in a perfect world, they're making enough money that the guy finishing twentieth still walks out with you know mm-hmm. uh, fifteen thirty grand. <laughs> let me ask you this: uh, How was James Stewart to work with when you were at Cali, uh, PR wise? I liked working with James. Um, I'd come, you know, work the. The drivers I worked with, and I was actually warned about them by a couple of the media folks in Indianapolis when they found out I was coming over. They were like, oh, man, you're going to go work with James Stewart. That's going to be tough. I'm mm-hmm. like, is it going to be any harder than working with Paul Tracy? And they went, no. And I said, well, then we're good. <laughs> like, and I, dude, I love Paul. Like, right. he, he's awesome, great guy. And and nobody's ever – it's all about – nobody's difficult to work with. You know, you you you, uh, you work hard. And you do what you're supposed to do, and you know our job sometimes depends on other people. And you know, in this case, you know, working with James mm-hmm. to be able to fill the stuff. But I never, James never said no. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Which that's all I ask is if there's a you know if he's not going to do something and there's a reason behind it, that's that's great. Right. You know, I I can understand that. There's I don't want to do some stuff too, and if there's a reason behind it. And it's a valid reason, then great. You know, we, we should be good with that. Right. Um, uh, do you feel, as a whole, in general, our sport, our riders in our sport, don't get it? How are we doing on PR? I, I think the sport is doing well. Okay. I, I mean, the the biggest battle that that's hard to face is, you know, you have it's such a niche sport, mm-hmm. and we're struggling to get that mainstream coverage. And when we do get the mainstream coverage, the the folks who who are writing the stories or doing the television pieces, 
maybe don't understand the sport enough. Mm-hmm. And so they, there's no such thing as a stupid question, but they ask pretty ignorant questions. And, <laughs> and you're like, whoa, you know, man. And, and you try and, you know, as, from a PR person, you try and prep them as best you can. And you, you give them, you give them the background. But at the end of the day, like, I, I still struggle with some of the, you know, some of the jargon, some of the stuff that falls into the, to the sport. It's, you know, it's a highly technical sport when it comes to, to words. And so they may ask a stupid question mm-hmm. or what's perceived as a stupid question. And if you're a writer and you're answering that and you're like, why did they ask that stupid question? It kind of turns you off to doing more stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, the you hate to say it, but a lot of times the stupidest questions come from the biggest publications. So the ones that you, you know, mm-hmm. so then you're like, Hey, we want to do another piece with this group. Oh, remember when they asked that stupid question? Or what? Yeah, Why would yeah. I want to talk to them again? Yeah. They don't get it. Right, right. So how can they? So how can they translate it to the to the rest of the world? Mm-hmm. Good point. What about, so, in your opinion, what about the moto media itself, and myself included in this? Uh, how are we? How do? How are we compared to IndyCar media to NASCAR media? Um, is there? You know, I wonder. I honestly wonder. And. and is there almost too much media for our sport? It seems like our guys, and, uh, and there are some guys that don't, but it seems like our guys, between the videos and the podcasts and the inter- – I mean, it, I would hate to be a guy like Villapoto. I bet you his phone is just blowing up constantly for media well, requests. But, but how, we we how- love that there's – A, there's never too much media. <laughs> okay. And, All right. And B – uh, when, you know, Ryan's phone isn't blowing up as much because, you know, hopefully the, the media folks are going through the PR person as they should be, uh, and and the PR person is filtering that, right? Steve, you, you call us directly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's funny, though. I've actually had, not you, but I've had OEM PR people be like, dude, just text them yourself. I can't get a hold of them. That's, uh, uh, and not knowing who it is and no, not yeah, knowing the whole yeah. situation, that's a pretty lazy way to do it. Yeah. I had the, I had and, the Suzuki person tell me, that I got a. Right, let's not go into details here. Let's just no, somebody. Wow, well, okay, I mean, let's not call Suzuki, anybody out. No, but Suzuki's had three or four people because I'm. I'm telling you, no, not not. They didn't say text them. I'm getting to the other story. The I had a Suzuki person tell me that uh, when I did a podcast with Austin Stroop when he wrote for Suzuki that it was a better interview than they've ever been able to get Austin to do or talk to or anything because I guess he was hard to hard to get a hold of to do stuff and I happened to get him on a, on the right day I guess but. Anyways, I just found it funny. I was like, "Really?" Like, because I don't really know Austin at all. But for some reason, he was uh, he was more receptive to me than than the OEM PR person who you know is supposed to be handling everything. So, I, well, it, and talking to you is a lot different than talking to the PR person too when they're interviewing and, and trying to get you know yeah. you know you're you're trying to get comments about the bike and and how good it is and yeah. like I'm, I'm sure. Uh, I, I take a lot of pride, in, and this is going to kind of sound like a bashing another uh, manufacturer, but it's not. Uh, when we when I worked in IndyCar, there was never an engine failure. Mm-hmm. And now there's there's even a uh, a commercial that Honda says, you know, uh, we've never had an engine failure in the Indy 500. Mm-hmm. I'm like, of course you haven't, because anytime an engine fails, it's always an electrical problem or it's always a water <laughs> yeah, pumper. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, they're true. It was an electrical problem. When the rod came through the case, it, <laughs> it, stopped, it sheared stopped, some wires yeah. too. And the thing just didn't have any power anymore. Um, but anyways, <laughs> but, but, but getting back, getting back to, to, yeah. to our point, um, uh, what was our point? Talking about riders, right? Yeah. Just talking about riders yeah. and, and, uh, 
and how I guess how accessible they are. I, yeah, I yeah, forget. Yeah, I, I did well, not lose track. Of a lot okay, of no, stuff. no. Here's my point. Here, here, here is how are we as a as a media group? Oh, oh, I was trying to avoid that question because I didn't <laughs> want to. I didn't want to badmouth you. No, no. Actually, it's again my background in car racing is there. There used to be a lot of glossy publications, mm-hmm. you know, magazines. And all of those went away. Now the only thing that exists anymore is Racer, uh, the Haymarket publication. In Moto, you still have, you know, Racer X. You have Dirt Rider. You have Dirt Bike. You have Trans World. You have Motocross Action. You have all these publications that still exist, and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And you were saying that maybe there's too much media. There's never too much media. Um, you know, from from a PR person's standpoint, you have to schedule schedule it and, and you know you, you want to pitch your stories and, and get them in the publications that you think best fit that because the average reader of Transworld probably doesn't read Dirt Rider and the story is going to be different for Dirt Rider than it is for Transworld or for Racer X because mm-hmm. Racer X is more to the mainstream Transworld's more to the core you know but but then you know Dirt Rider is that's that's a rider that's somebody who you know that audience is somebody who knows exactly what's going on to the bike so maybe it's more right hey here Here's here's the cool special things we do with the with the factory bike is in that right. whereas at Racer X it's hey here's cool pictures of the factory bike or here's an interview a lifestyle interview of a rider exactly and you know so you know dealing with everybody it, it's cool to to deal with you know because I'm still friends with obviously a lot of the IndyCar media yep. and and even even the NASCAR media because you know you always want to keep those contacts yeah. you never burn a bridge is 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 a, a good way to live and uh, and it's great. The passion that that the media have for their individual sports mm-hmm. is amazing. Uh, yeah, they they're more passionate about it than any fan. But at the same time, the fans will be the first to berate them because they think they don't know anything about the sport and they don't care about the sport. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just yeah, in it yeah. for the paycheck. And you're like, well, the paycheck's not very good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> first of all, uh, being a sports writer or uh, you know working for a magazine, you're not gonna you know. Yeah, you're not going to buy a mansion in the hills anytime soon. No, unless, exactly. unless you're Mathis and you're you're you know working 25 hours a day. Yeah, doing podcasts with you know joke PR people. Um, uh, hey, let's uh, let's talk about a guy that gave you a little bit of uh, a little bit of fits from the PR side. That would be Christoph Purcell, two years at Monster uh, Pro Circuit Cowie, and obviously there was a big a big debate about you know why Purcell didn't get that second 450 spot beside Weimer. Um, you know, Purcell's racing results seem to surpass Jake's, but I know from talking to to guys at Cowie that part of it came into the part of the reason why they went with Jake was a PR reason, and and I think that Christophe could be Exhibit A on. I mean, he's French, English isn't his first language. We get that, but Christophe could be uh, Exhibit A as to how important PR is to a OEM. Correct? PR is definitely important to an OEM, and. Uh... You know, Kristoff's case, I'm not going to go into too many details on it because it's, it's not fair to Kristoff because he's not on here to be able to defend himself. or uh, and, and I don't know 100% of the story. I just know the PR side of it. Right. But and, and he was I hard to deal also, with. G- give me that. You can at least give me that. What was that? He's hard to deal with. He, was, he didn't like doing it. I, I don't know if he didn't like doing it. I know <laughs> it, it was a struggle for him. Right. Um, but, again, come, the, the, like, it's great to be able to draw from experience and – in Champcar, our last, my last two years, we had a French driver, Sebastian Bourdais, yep. who was absolutely dominant. 
Yeah. And he had a very similar attitude uh, to uh, Porcel. Oh, really? So, yeah. so for me, it was it was something like, okay, how did I deal with Sebastian? Right. That's and that worked. And you know what? Let's try and try that with Chris. And a lot of times, it did work. Interesting. Um, yeah. It, it, it's pretty, you know, if you think about it, you hear a negative story, you remember a negative story. There's a lot of positive stories that, that went on with Chris as well. So it, at the end of the day, there were a multitude of reasons why uh, Cowie didn't re-sign him. I don't know any of them. Um, I'm pretty far removed from, you know, who we sign and who we don't sign. Right, of course, yeah. But did PR play a part in it? I can't imagine that it didn't. Right. That's I guess was it was it the main part? Probably not. No. There was probably other things that you know, you know. But I do. I remember a story that was told to me by uh, Mike Fisher. Apparently, uh, James was really upset with having to do uh, some PR event, and uh, and it was back when Bruce was uh, mm-hmm. was team manager, Bruce Sternstrom, and Bruce printed out a copy of his contract or had a copy of his contract printed out on the desk, and James is in the office with him. And he said, James, you make this amount of money. And I, I don't know what the yeah. dollar figure was, but it was, a, it was a pretty large number. Probably a lot, right. And that's what it says in this thick contract that's 35 pages long. He goes, the first three pages of this contract deal with you on track and racing. So let's take those first three pages and put them in this pile over here. Everything below that has to do with PR. <laughs> so here's how much we'll pay you to cover those first three pages of this yeah, uh, contract. <laughs> Probably and, really. And did the that. rest of your salary covers the rest of the contract. If you want to do it for this, we'll gladly pay you that. And all you have to do is go out and right. Race. We'll, we'll divide and, your, your salary <laughs> by by thirty fifths, and three of the thirty fifths will pay you for racing. And um, it it obviously wasn't enough because uh, James was out there doing PR stuff. Uh, and so. I, I bet you that really happened. I bet you Bruce really did that. You and I both know Bruce pretty well. No, it, exactly. <laughs> and you know. It, it's a great story. It's a very visual, and and at yeah. the end of the day, you know that was early in James's career as well. And I mean, you look at what he does now, and how he interacts with fans on Twitter, the the videos he does on YouTube. You know, he he's getting it. It's it's slowly starting to come around, and he's like, man, this is. I would. And I would argue. Is he going to be Kevin Windham one day? I, Probably not. I would argue but with he's that. He's going to be pretty monster. good. I would argue with you with that, but I don't want to because that's not what the show's okay. about. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com Racer X podcast show. It's that time. Time for a commercial. Thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com podcast show. Please don't forget that BTO is the world leader in aftermarket motocross parts for the bike or body. You'll find deals like a Shoei VFXW helmet for $309.99, 45% off, or Smith Piston goggles for $32.99, 65% off. Your order can be shipped anywhere in the USA for free. Or if you're not in the USA, we ship worldwide. Check it out at btosports.com. I would say that he doesn't get it. That's what I would say. But um, uh, but I like James. He's good with me. Every time I've tried to do something, well, no, no. Every time I've done something with him, he's good. And, he, and I wonder why he doesn't do more. But I, I definitely would make a case that I don't think he gets it. As the... As the, uh, uh, would you say, tip of the arrow of our sport, as the most marketable guy, recognizable guy, probably, yeah. I would say. Yeah. Um, he, he, if he, he's not, he, he's one of the top, he, yeah. for sure he's one of the top three. So. Yeah, he needs to, he, I, I feel like he needs to put a little more of the sport's responsibilities on his shoulders. But that's just my opinion. 
Um, anyways, let's let's move on from there. Uh, so what Supercross? Do you feel like the, there should be press conferences after Supercrosses? How do you feel about press conferences in general as a PR guy? What do you, what do you it, learn from them? What do you like about them? What don't you like about them? They make my job easy. Yeah. Like if if I'm at an event and I know I have to go grab all my guys and get quotes from them for my press release, and you know, like for me, we had a guy on the podium. I think all but four races that I worked in those in that three years. Yeah, I would imagine between either pro circuit and the factory right. team. So that means those guys would have been in press conferences or were in press conferences, depending on what series we were in. You know, it makes it easy. Then I can just grab my quote from the press conference, or at least grab the guy and get a get a you know because we try and do we try and get separate quotes for our releases than what the general media use, right? Just so that there's a reason to read our release, and just so that you know, on Racer X and on Transworld and on this, the same quote isn't all all shown up in the same spot, right? So they they definitely made it easier, but at the same time, there's the media that are at the events don't ask questions in the press conferences because they want that individual content. Right. They want that unique content for their, their spots. Mm-hmm. So, so we would go sit in a press conference, answer the moderator's questions that, you know, could go on for 25, 30 minutes, but then you spend another 35, 40 minutes doing individual interviews. Yeah. So why, why are we doing both? Right. You know, uh, in the past couple of years, I know it's Supercross. It's been, at least in my eyes, it's been better. We're down on the floor after the podium. Uh, you know, Aaron always grabs the winner for the speed news update. But then, you know, all the different media outlets are trying to be down there and get the quotes from the top three guys. Mm-hmm. And then that allows them to then go into the pits as well and grab the privateers, grab the guys f- who are, you know, fourth through 20th. Yeah. And uh, if you had them in, if you had the press conference and you, and you said, hey, this is in – as, from a team standpoint, you're, if we have a press conference or our guys in a press conference, we're not going to then say, and then we're going to have a media opportunity after the press yeah. conference back at our truck because we, we've, we've made them available. Uh, how, so How does the other it, sports it, work? How does NASCAR and IndyCar work? They do a top three press conference. Yeah. Um, NASCAR was top three plus highest finishing rookie at Champ Car, IndyCar. It's top three as well. Yeah. But it's a different – animal as, as well because okay. you got to remember those events are spread out over multiple days yep. so they'll actually do a top three qualifying press conference that you know so if qualifying is on friday that's that's a story for the saturday paper mm-hmm. then they do you know this is indycar that i'm talking about because they do two days of qualifying there then you know then they do saturday qualifying the same thing there's a saturday night press conference that then is the sunday story in the paper and then sunday they do the race press conference it's the monday story in the paper so you're, but, you're guaranteeing, or you're you're working to guarantee yourself three three stories, with but the the top story of the day in there. Yeah, but I'm wondering, monster, do the guys then get corralled after they get off the podium, like in Supercross Motocross? It, again, no, no, not as much because you have the same thing where, or you have the difference in media. It's in all industry media who are covering these events mm-hmm. at for moto, but in uh, in the car racing, it's more the mainstream local local and daily papers that maybe they're not comfortable enough to do that one-on-one interview, so they, they want that press conference setting to be able to get their story. And then if they want to do a column or something separate, then they'll go and grab that guy 
and set it up for the next day or, uh-huh. or, or try and do it later. But what about the mainstream guys? Do they go to the motorhomes and wait for the dudes back there? Uh, for guys who aren't in the top three, not yeah. normally, no. no? It's, no. Uh, it's, it, it, See, if like, they're not being spoon-fed the stuff, yep. because they can only be so many places at so many times, uh-huh. if, if the Team PR people aren't giving them the information, then you're not going to really read about those guys. Oh, wow. Okay. See, like, I and just it, go into it, trucks. Like, I just, I, I don't go to the press conference because I'll figure I'll get those guys later, and I don't yep. want the other guys that finished 4th through 20th to leave. So I, while the press conference is going on, I'm going into trucks and finding guys, and I'm literally walking into trucks being like, hey, where's Chad? Hey, where's Metcalf? You know what I mean? Yep. Um, no, absolutely. And that and doesn't happen. You're saying that doesn't happen in other in – Not really because, because it's the, the PR folks over there are more – service the media a little bit better uh-huh. uh, because, A, there's more of them. Mm-hmm. You know, every team and to an extent every driver have their own PR people. And, like, when I was in IndyCar, you know, we would, as soon as we came off track after the race, if we weren't in the press conference, by the time the press conference was done, I would have a sheet with, here's what happened during our day, here's a quote from our driver, here's a quote from our team manager or somebody else associated with the team uh-huh. that fits that, that story of the day. That would be printed out and handed out and put on everybody's desk in the media center. Right, right, okay, all right. So they didn't have to come get us. They, so, you know... They they didn't have to come get that quote because it was being delivered right to them. Uh, I always found it funny too. Like me and you know, knew each other. I was around the Cowie truck a lot. Coffee, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> coffee water, and I, we always we knew each other to joke around and laugh and joke. But then there were times where I had to actually go to you for like a real request. Yeah. And then you had to handle it all professionally, like it was a real request. Yeah, well, it was. I know, I know. Like, I, just, I always found that funny. You're a member of the media, Steve, even if you are friends with me. <laughs> no, I know, but it was really funny. I was like, man, I'm going to have to really ask Monster Tom for, like, a real, like, media thing here right now. That's weird. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, well that, you know, in the position you're in, you know, that I'm in and, and anybody who works in, in PR is you, you have to there, – there's a fine line you have to balance there. You, it, and it's the same line you have with the journalists or with the media. You have that with your writers and your drivers as well. You you want to be, you know, I want to be friends with you guys, and right. hey, we can hang out, and everything's good. Right. And but at the same time, there has to be a level of professional respect in there that, yeah. you know, if if you write something negative about me or about our team, that is fair. I have to be able to explain to my bosses, hey, you know what? Yeah, he wrote that, and yeah, we're friends, but he's fair in his criticism. Yeah. Did you if it's ever, unfair, I have to be able to go to you and say, "Hey, Steve, right. it, you know, you know, I don't, I'm not telling you. You have to write it this way. Or you have to write yeah. it that way." Here's but what you have to be fair about right. it, and this is why I feel this isn't fair. Did you have that problem in in motocross, supercross ever? No, no? I, I I can't say that there's ever been you know anybody that that we I've had to go, man, that's just not right. Right. What about um, on the IndyCar side or or NASCAR side? I I. I I actually more IndyCar side, I guess. But yeah. when I was at when I was at Champ Car, uh, I was helping to run their website, and uh-huh. actually was told I had to fire Robin Miller. Oh no who, way! Uh, you see him on Speed. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a legendary. He's uh, on their versus broadcast. Yeah, he's a legendary he was, auto sports auto racing uh, writer. I mean, he's one of my best friends. Still, you know, still deal with him at least once a week. Talk to him or email back and forth with him. And but yeah, Robin. Uh, Robin at the time was writing a column for our, for the Champ Car website and also writing for Speed and mm-hmm. he he took a, a pretty big dig at uh, 
Tony, at one of the owners of the series. Tony George, thank you. No, this this was uh, Champ Car. Actually. Oh, Champ Car. Okay, because he, yeah, him and Tony so was, George, so Paul Canalosi of all people. Him and uh, Tony George had a legendary feud for many years. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I remember, and because he was a he was a car, Champ Car guy, and we had it was uh, 2002 with the, uh, when Paul Tracy won the Indy 500. But even before that, we we were out there doing, or no, it was, it no, was after Tra- that. It was Tracy, 2004. Tracy didn't win the Indy 500, though. Yeah, he did. I, I have the, I've seen the mathematical data to uh, prove it. No, no. He actually uh, was was declared uh, the yellow light came on while he was in second. Yeah, well, the same guy who made that decision made the decision at New Hampshire this past weekend to go green under uh, in the raining conditions. How'd that work out? I heard big disaster, right? <laughs> Um, yeah. No. Uh, are you saying that uh, that Tr- Paul Tracy definitely all those years ago deserved to win the Indy 500, like without a doubt? Uh, based based on the mathematical evidence we produced at the appeal, yes. Yeah. And just sorry. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Sorry about your luck, Paul. Yeah. And but it was but because Paul day, was an Indy car driver, not an Indy IRL driver, correct? Correct. He he was a he was a cart driver who was who was doing a one off race. Right. I mean, at the time we were sponsored by Brown and Williamson. And they're cool brand, and mm-hmm. so they were a tobacco sponsor. But because they were tobacco, they weren't allowed to sponsor the car at Indy. We actually had Seven Eleven on the side pods. Oh, okay. That, that they did a trade out where, you know, when yeah. you went into Seven Eleven, yeah, the eye level spots in a certain number of stores had to be cool brand, and then that's how they got their name on the side of the car. <laughs> Interesting. Like, so okay, so you had to fire <laughs> Robin Miller. Yeah. So I so I had to fire Robin. I remember the phone call. Uh, I was told, hey, you got to fire me. He can't write what he wrote. So I call him up. I'm like, Robin, um, based on what you wrote on Speed today, yeah, we're we're going to end up having to let you go from Champ Car. He goes, yeah, I kind of figured that was coming. So before I published that column with Speed, I, I said, hey, I'm going to need you guys to pick up this amount, which was our monthly, <laughs> what we were paying him monthly. Right. And they're like, yeah, that's no problem. We got that. What was he <laughs> criticizing? We, we went out to dinner that night. What was he criticizing a team owner for? It was a, it was actually one of the series owners, and oh. I can't remember the exact yeah, details yeah. of it, but it was it was an ongoing feud. And, yeah. um, and at the end of the day, Robin writes to sell papers mm-hmm. and does a very good job of it. <laughs> and he he is very strong in his opinions, and yeah, they're factually based. So he you can't you can't criticize him for pointing out the facts, not whether that it, yeah. whether they agree with you or disagree with you. If they're facts, they're out there. Not that I'm at all comparing myself to Robin Miller, but I always liked him growing up listening to his cart reports, and yep. I, I do see myself a little bit in him in, in some of the things that I write. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it like I'm in his class. He's, he's, oh, you're not. Yeah, thank no. you. Thank you. But you know what I mean? <laughs> no, um, a little bit? Like no, he absolutely. Is, he is, yeah. I mean, the, the, for him, it, you know, he started off as a not, – not that this has turned into the Robin Miller podcast, but you know, he started off as a – as a teenage writer, dropped out of Ball State and uh, working for the Indy Star, or at the time I think yeah. it was the Star News, and uh, he he's out there just uh, you know following the ABA guys and learning the craft. Mm-hmm. So he got to the point where he could write a column, and and it didn't have to be you know. There's two types of stories in in the media. There's uh, you know there's the news story that's supposed to be objective and and just lays out the facts and tells you what happened. And then there's a, the column that's more opinionated, right. like your observations column. And for him, you know, once he got to that columnist role, it really thrived, or he thrived, because that's his personality. He's able to have strong opinions 
that even though you may not agree with them, you're able you're able to see you know what there's some validity in that opinion. Yeah, and that's yeah. and you get that with observations, I'm sure. Where yeah, people will be like, man, like I'll I'll tell you right now, I read observations, and sometimes I read it, and I'm like. I, I have no idea what Steve's thinking here. This does, doesn't make any sense to me. And then it's explained a little bit, and I'm like, man, yeah, you know what? I don't think he's right, but right. He, but, hey, but I understand it where he's it thinking. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah okay. I understand he, where he's thinking. He's got a fair basis of it. I, re- I remember. Thank you, Monster. I remember Robin Miller doing a TV report from outside of Indianapolis Speedway because, as he said in the microphone, I'm banned from going inside the Speedway right now. But here's my report. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he actually. It, the the funny thing about that is, is we actually because we went over to do an interview with him. Uh huh. That was a uh, 2004, I believe. I don't and, know. Uh, yeah. It was held. Or he was actually in the parking lot of the Indy Racing League offices. <laughs> it, but it's funny. a shopping center, so it's public land. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so I remember he's like, "Hey, you got to drive." I think it was Brian Herta. I was like, "You got to drive Herta because out there and and uh, yeah." Out to the parking we'll lot. do the interview over there, and I'm like, yeah, no problem. Right, right. Because and at the end of the day, Robin Miller is respected as a as a as a guy who knows absolutely. his stuff, you know. So, and and you know, what's the old saying too? You never get in a fight with a with somebody who buys uh, ink, ink by the gallon or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, uh, <laughs> hey, is 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 Michael Andretti as big of a as a as a as an a hole as the rumors are? Um, I I don't know the proper way to answer that. Uh, in my in all of my dealings with Michael, I I don't think we got along very well. <laughs> so, but um, the stories are like I mean I you know I'm a moto guy, but I I, I read a lot and I'm, I'm well versed in a lot of other sports. And man, the media has never been too kind to Michael Andretti. He must have really treated a lot of them like dirt over the years. Uh, I will say his dad is one of the greatest people I've ever worked with. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on, uh, right? If you want to, it, actually, this is probably one of the highlights of my career is um, 2004 again, actually. Mm-hmm. Wow, everything happened in 2004. Yeah. It seems like April of 2004, Mario Andretti is testing our uh, IndyCar at uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And, uh, you know, he's 68 years old at the time, I believe. Mm-hmm. Can't hardly see. But he's out there turning laps at 220 miles an hour. And Kenny Bryce out there, a couple other drivers are out there testing as well. And so we're out at the track. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get ahead of the game, write the press release, hey, successful test <laughs> at Indianapolis Motor Speedway for uh, Mario Andretti. Got a quote from him at lunch. Had the thing ready to go, fired up. You know, all I had to do was hit send, and mm-hmm. our, my job's done. I'm going to go go grab a beer that night and talk about how great it was to work with Mario for a day. And on the last lap of the day, 4.59, Kenny Bragg has hits the wall, and a piece of his car goes out in the short shoot between turns one and two. Mario hits it, and the car flips over four times yeah. in the air. Yeah. And I remember Channel 13 had coverage of it, and we're all that. and all we can see is the is because there's no cameras during testing. All we see is the telemetry data on the car, and we're like, "Oh, he crashed." And then you don't hear anything on the radio. You don't don't hear anything on the radio. So go over to the medical center, sit, wait at the medical center, wait in there for about 30 minutes. Finally, I'm like, I go in, and I'm like, hey, you know, has Mario come in yet? And they're like, no, nah, they just took him back to the garage. He said he didn't want to come to the medical center. I'm like, what? <laughs> While I'm waiting at the medical center, I get a call from the 
uh, sports reporter from Channel 13. He's like, we got footage of the crash. It's amazing. You're not going to believe it. He went by upside down and mm-hmm. this. And I'm like, yeah. oh, dude, I get back to the garage area. Mario's standing there. The car is just getting towed in. The car is just totally right. destroyed. Mario's got a Band-Aid on his chin because he, he cut his chin was the only thing. Mm-hmm. All the media are around, and I'm like, Mario, can we you know can we talk to the media real quick? And he's absolutely. He just says, first thing he goes, okay, everybody, um, here's what we got to do. We can't. We just got to report on how successful the test was. Because my wife will kill me if she finds out I crashed the car. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, he's flipping like, through the air. It was on like, ESPN. This guy's yeah. making jokes right now right. where, you know, everybody else is literally just catching their breath. Yeah. Did you ever? And this s- guy's making jokes, having fun. Did you ever see the Dust to Glory Baja 500 movie that the, uh, the, kid, the son of the maker of On Any Sunday put out? I didn't, know. Mario's in that, and he's racing the trucks. And his truck breaks down, and he has to catch a ride with like this Mexican family down in, in the Baja. And it's just hilarious. <laughs> he comes across like a real cool guy, like unbelievably oh, great guy. He he is amazing. And, and, um, and so what happened to Michael? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what about what about Paul Tracy? Well, how was he? I mean, he's my fi- growing up watching uh, Cart every uh, every weekend. He was my favorite. Obviously, being Canadian, my favorite guy. He lives in Las Vegas here. Uh, I know some other people. I just him. moved to Phoenix, actually. Oh, he did. Okay. Yep. Uh, how was he? How was he to deal with? Uh, he was. He was a PR person's dream and nightmare all wrapped into one. <laughs> I mean, because he would say anything that he wanted to he, say. He he will say anything and everything you want to hear, and you're like, man, that's awesome. But at the same time, you're like, man, I don't want him saying that to the public. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> like, he was just a great guy who never was shy with his opinions. Talented is all. You know, like, you'll n- never meet a more talented driver, I don't think. Um, yeah, he's pretty good, and, right? Yeah. It's it's sad to see him now. He's just doing the Canadian stuff, and he's doesn't have a great car or a great team. So it's yeah. I know he's working to do a farewell uh, farewell tour next year, and then mm-hmm. retire at the end of the year next yep. year, which would be awesome if, if he could if if that could come together. And yep. uh, anyway, to support it would be you know that'd be awesome for somebody to step up and do that. Yeah. Because. Because his next move's got to be the TV booth, and right. Like, how's uh, how can that be a bad thing? How's and we'll steer this back to Supercross Motocross before we wrap it up. But how's the Indy Car Series doing? That that, that split really, really killed it, and I it have was, no interest in IRL. No interest. It was really devastating for them. Um, the split was like it. It took them down where well, Champ Car declared bankruptcy right twice. <laughs> um. One, or actually they only declared bankruptcy once. Were there times where you were wondering where your check was or what? Not when you were there, huh? It was all right by then? No, it, well, we were in bankruptcy when I was there the first time. Or when I was, the first time they were in bankruptcy and, and everything was going mm-hmm. pretty bad. And it was, <laughs> hey, are they going to shut it down? Or are they going to, you know, is this guy Kevin Kalkoven, who was a billionaire, going to come in and buy it? And he ended up buying it. Oh, he's the a billionaire? Was, I, I, Tony George was going to take it over. and. Yep close it down essentially there was actually even um a real good source at one point espn saying tony george had bought it but it actually never happened but yeah the, it was it was it was fairly close yeah and uh and then the bankruptcy judge ruled that hey no tony's plan to shut it down wasn't good for it right which you know four years later that exactly happened so maybe you know 
maybe it was good for it. Yeah. Because if you look now, it's it's had a pretty strong resurgence. Yeah, I think so. Um, it's coming back a little bit, right? Yeah. It, it's coming back. It's not where it was. I mean, people forget in 1995, cart ratings were higher than NASCAR ratings. Yeah, and that's not that long ago. No, I mean, that's what, 15 years ago? Right, right. Uh, 25 years ago. Is it? No. No, 15 years 15 ago. Years. I, don't, I don't do math. I'm in PR. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, but, 15 you know, years ago, so it's, it's amazing was, yeah. how how much how far they fell, and now how they're struggling to come back a little bit. And they're, I mean, they're lacking. The way I look at it is they're one of our main competitors for Moto. Mm-hmm. You believe because so? Because yeah. at the end of the day, a newspaper is only so big, right? And you know, media coverage is only so much, and so we're fighting with that level of sport, which is. That that's an elevation for Moto in, in a little bit of ways, but at the same time, it's also an elevation for IndyCar mm-hmm. that you know we're both kind of on a level. And you know, when Monster Energy Cup's going on, there actually is an IndyCar race that Sunday in Vegas. It's their World Finals. Oh, okay, yeah. So interesting. Um, I know Feld is working, and and because of some of my contacts, we're working to to maybe do a little crossover stuff and work with them. Yep. Because why why wouldn't you? You know, it's two exciting sports that. Hey, let's figure out a way to get some of their fans over on our side. Are they going? And I can tell you, everybody in the pit and paddock at uh, at IndyCar, huge, huge Moto fans. Yeah, huh. it used to be in the day. Your IndyCar hard card was very similar to the hard card that they use for Supercross. Mm-hmm. So at in, at Indy Supercross, there's never never been any open pits, but. Your IndyCar hard card would get you in the pits because the security guards didn't really know yeah. what was going on, <laughs> and you'd hear stories from our team guys all the time. They would go down and watch and hang out. Yeah, how many guys like even on the team's ride and yeah, uh, I always um, I think the series needs to get a few more American drivers though. You agree? Yeah, I, I I think so. I mean, but you have a pretty strong you know with Ryan Hunter Ray who just won this weekend and mm-hmm. you know Graham Ray Hall's a great great kid. Yeah. Um, you know and you know, kind of like Mario and Michael, except Bobby and and Graham are the opposite. The, mm-hmm. the sons, the sons are really good guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> the you know, so there and the Jammer Hildebrand kid. I mean, yeah, what a PR person's dream the way yeah. he handled the Indy 500 this year. Yeah, he he did uh, actually. Uh, yep, yep. He he got out. So hey, this is what happened. It sucks, and you know, but we got to move forward. And yeah. you know, I'm I'm gonna put myself in position to win again next year. Like. Um. And, and swinging it back to, to Moto, one of the reasons why I asked you how were you doing as a team, because, you know, obviously uh, Jason Wygant's a buddy of mine, and, and he is the, uh, the play-by-play voice of the series. And he works with a lot of the NBC speed fuel guys. or It's all the same people. Um, yeah. He works with them, and, and a lot of those guys do Sunday night football for NBC. Uh, they do um, NASCAR stuff. They do IndyCar stuff. They've told Jason, like, hey, we need to go get an interview with, with this guy and, and James or, or, or even Ryan Dungey or Ryan Vilpoto. And Wygant will just laugh and be like, yeah, you're never going to talk to those guys right now. You know, they just crashed out. Their bike broke. Um, you know, James at Unadilla last year. Uh, good luck getting those guys. And, they, yeah. and those guys are amazed that our athletes don't come out and talk. That's, that's sort of why, you know, I wonder about our sport sometimes. Yeah, and I mean you have that, and but there's also a lot of times too, if something happens in the first moto, and and you come you come over to the truck to talk to somebody between motos, mm-hmm. you know this, this guy's getting ready to go out and do his job, yeah, and, and getting get, getting ready to go out and race. 
Um, if it's after the second moto or after a Supercross main event, like I'm pushing my guy to be out there to talk, right? Because that's that's the right thing to do, right? You know, if you make a mistake, go out and own it. If something happened to you, go out and say, "Hey, this is what happened," and and let let everybody know, and because all they're they're going to guess either way, mm-hmm. and. Uh- uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You're 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 absolutely right. Sometimes I so, wonder why our sport doesn't get more, more out in front of things. No, and that's exactly it. I mean, the, the way you want to like with, for PR speak, you want to control the stories, and the right. way to control the story is get your side out and and have that yeah. side drowned out everybody yeah. else. Yeah, you know the the Justin Barsha contracted mono, uh, you know, sometime early in the outdoors, and the team owner Jeff Myshak was calling myself, Wygant, Steve Guyberson, uh, probably Steve Cox, I don't know for sure. And he was telling these people, hey, telling all of us, hey, um, Justin's got mono. Um, it's going to work through his system in a few weeks that you've noticed he hasn't done as well as he should. Yeah. He's working through it. Um, you know, that's sort of the story, guys. And I was thinking to myself, you know, Justin Barsha could have um, hepatitis C he got from a hooker in Vegas. And that could be the reason why. But you know what? We're all going with the mono story, and I'm not saying it was a story. Don't get me yeah. wrong. The point was, Geico Honda was out in front, controlling the story, letting everybody know, and none of us in the media questioned it or put any wild speculations out there or was wondering what the hell was going on because Geico Honda did it correctly. No, absolutely. And the, there, you definitely want to be out in front of stories. Um, the biggest problem is a lot of stories in moto specifically are injury-related, and there's federal laws that prohibit manufacturers and, and folks from releasing details. Mm-hmm. Uh, the HIPAA laws are, are very strict, mm-hmm. is, I guess the best way to say it. Yeah. So it makes it more difficult to put out those stories. And, and at the same time, you know, if you're a competitor, you don't want your competitors to know you're hurt or hurting. Wow, I, I disagree, know? but I, 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 I think well, I'm in the... Take I'm, it to hockey, though. I'm in the minority. You know? I'm in the minority when I say I disagree because I've spoken to riders and teams about this, and you know, even my good buddy Tim Ferry disagrees with me, and that's, that's reason enough. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I just don't but, think... I mean, we don't... Look, our bikes aren't look at our F-14. major sports, the NFL. Bill Pelichek puts everybody on his team on the injury. Report. Yeah, I know, I know. But here's the thing: look at hockey. You know, you're not, if, well, if you your can, left knee's hurting, you're going to say it's your ribs. Yeah, but you can so target. Guys are going to go to your ribs. You can target your, your knee, knee in hockey. In our sport, our our bikes aren't F-14 fighter jets with targeting systems where I'm going to go for Brett Metcalf's right knee because he says it's sore. That's my yeah, point. but it's but think about how mental it is to ride too. Yes, yes. That's if you're, if you're out there and you're thinking, man, you know what? Oh, you know th- this guy's out in front of me, but you know this week I know he he's struggling with with a little bit, with a little injury. That yes. gives you that little that... mental boost. Like, man, hey, I can, you know what? I got him, and I'm in. And you just bide your time and then make your pass or whatever. That's and the comeback that I have no answer for. Right. It, it, and but and it, it's a it's a tough side to be on either. You know, from a PR standpoint, I want to hey, I want to control the story. I want to get out in front of it. But I also understand, yeah, hey, yeah. you know, PR is just one part of us going out and being a race team and, and being successful. So maybe sometimes the best PR route isn't the best way to go win a race. Yeah, and so you, a- have, absolutely. you have to weigh those things right. out and say, okay, what, what's the best way to do it? How much interaction when you were on the road with the Cali guys, how much interaction would you have with Mike Fisher, team manager, in putting information out, in getting the riders out there? How much would you guys uh, work together? Uh 
10 hours a day. All the time, like, yep. Our, our seats, were. Uh, we have a conference table in mm-hmm. the in the Cowie rig uh, up in the lounge area. Yep. And his seat was on the the right side of the table. My seat was on the left side of the table. Yep. You know, we, we would never put out anything without his yep. thoughts. And because, obviously, you know, at the end of the day, the team is the most important part. So, yep. And as team manager, that's the guy you want to, you know, you want to work with. But there'd be many a time I'd be like, hey, Fish, we should do this. And he'd go, you're right, let's do it. Right, right, right. Um, okay. So, um, so let me ask you this, Monster. Um Everybody can see we're an hour and ten into this thing, and, and oh, you're really clear, good clearly I'm you're fine when you're talking with uh, with our friend Steve Mathis. Clearly, everyone can see that you're you know you're just a complete moron. You haven't done anything <laughs> in the industry, but no, for reals though. Um, I want this sport to be as successful as NASCAR and as IndyCar because that makes more money for me and and makes more money for the riders, and we grow as a whole. Okay, so so do you. We all want yeah, this. Yeah, absolutely. Put on your hat where you're the ultimate commissioner of motocross, supercross. You rule over Feld. You rule over MX Sports. What do you change to help us grow? What do you What do you do to help well, us grow? If what I do you had see? the answer to that, I wouldn't be sitting in an office right now. I'd well, be doing it and well, what, making gonna, money you, hand over fist. Are you telling me you're going to go to no, Feld and tell them how to run their business? Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would start my own series and like dominate. No, but for real, no, what, what do you think? There isn't like one magic. It's not like you can wave a magic not. wand and say, "Hey, if you do this, it's going to solve the the problem." But and not even that it's a problem. It's the the biggest thing we run into right now is the the world is different than when it was when we were growing up. There's thousands of TV channels on cable now. Everything's more specialized. And so I doubt you're going to see the growth of something to become like the NFL. And look at even NASCAR. They they hit the jackpot in 2000, grew really big. Now they're coming back. They are, yeah. And, and look, the, Jeff Gordon doesn't have a full-time sponsor on his car. Jeff Gordon, the guy... Yeah, that's he, right. Everybody knows who Jeff Corner is. He's not the DuPont Warrior anymore, is he? No, the DuPont's only on the car for half a year. Hmm. We're in a different world, and take the economy 100% out of the equation. It's just a different world. You're right. not getting the return on investment that you used to get because the only person, that, the only thing that's reaching everybody is the NFL right now. Right. And that's because it grew and grew and grew when there was you know three TV channels. And then it became, hey, this is what I do on Sunday. I watch football. Right. And then now it's so ingrained in everybody that everybody does it. We're we're a world of followers. Like, if we could get key people to say, hey, you know what, motocross is where where the future is. The lemmings would follow, and then all of a sudden it would grow a little bit. Well, how do you know what we got to do? What do you think? Tell me what you change. <laughs> Tell me what you change. I, I I truly don't know. I mean, like you look at it and you're like, man, live TV is the answer for Supercross. But Supercross has how many events on the West Coast? Half the events are are, are in the Western time zone. Yeah. You know, Pacific time zone. For it to be on live TV, you either a have to move the start of the events up to 4 p.m., mm-hmm. which then hurts your in your your live audience. Right. So that it's a 7 p.m. prime time on the East Coast. Or you have to run it at 7 p.m. on the West Coast like you normally do, but it's not. But it's a 10 o'clock start now yeah. on the East Coast. Yeah. And you're not going to get the number of viewers for the 10 o'clock. So 
is our, we, we know we have 45,000 people coming out and having a great time, and part of that great time is fireworks and, the, you know, the voice of God telling you how great every guy is and, mm-hmm. you know, and the sumo suits racing around or whatever. <laughs> it's all part of the show. And so you have to, you know, is it worth hurting those 45,000 in, in attendance by making it earlier in the day? Yeah. To appease, if, if you're getting ratings of threes and fours, so that means, you know, you're getting, you know, 400,000, 500,000 people watching, it's maybe worth it. But when you're getting maybe 100,000 people. What, what are we getting? Do you know? Have you been following? I, I don't know. Um, and, you know what, I, I truly don't blame MX Sports or uh, or Feld for not releasing those numbers because they can't win. If they're great, if they're big numbers, then people are like, well, why are, then why aren't you paying your writers more? Mm-hmm. If they're small numbers, they're, well, you guys are failures. Why, why can't you make it work better? <laughs> well, you can't win to, to release those numbers. And they're private companies, so I'm, I'm all for them, keeping them. You know, they, they give us some numbers to work with for, to track sponsors and things like that. And, and, and a lot of it's in percentages, and you look at it, and percentages are up this year, which is awesome. Right. And, and at the end of the day, just look at the amount of time it's on TV. You're not and, telling you know, me what you would do, Monster. You're not telling I, me what, I, what you would do. I, there, if I knew the answer, I'm telling you, what? I would do it and make money on it. What, but I, what would you do? What would you change would, if you could change anything in the sport? What would you change to help us? Like, What's your pet to peeve? Attract, to attract more sponsors, you need a bigger, a bigger place for them to put their logos on the bikes. Okay. See, now we're getting why NAS, somewhere. Now we're why getting NASCAR somewhere. is so successful is from, you know, if you're sitting in a bar watching on, you know, sitting in a bar having a beer and the yeah. NASCAR race is on the TV that's up behind the bar, mm-hmm. you can tell what car it is and you can see the sponsor logo very clearly. Mm-hmm. Okay, you so that's... the color of a bike, which is great for the OEMs, but it's harder to see the individual sponsors on the bike. Yep. Even on the radiator shrouds. Yeah. And... Look at the look at the 2012 uh, KX450S. We actually took away radiator shroud space. Yeah. So so there's the the monster claw and all that on there. Are we you know, we had to we had to rearrange that just just to get the graphics to look good for Unidil and the rest of the year. And you know that that was another thing that went into changing over the bike is you know we had to look and say hey how does this plastic work and 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 make all that happen. The you know, but if you go to a bigger plastic, or you go to something that makes it bigger for the sponsors to to be able to be seen, mm-hmm. that that hurts the actual, you know, competition of the sport. Mm-hmm. You know, because and at and the, at the end of the day, the OEMs are still the biggest sponsors in the sport. Yeah. So having that green fender on the front of that bike, that, yeah, you yeah. know, they're that's the most identifiable piece. Right. Well. You know, for Cowie, we're they're paying for that, and they're they should get that piece. Mm-hmm. Do you? So, oh. like, like I said, I wish there was a like a, you could wave a magic wand, and say do this, and it's going to make it happen. You know, is it? I I just don't know what it is. And man, the minute I do know what it is, you guys will know because Tom Supercross series is going to be very <laughs> successful. Do you feel like? And, and I, I, you know, I don't know how much you can tread here, but I feel like part of the, I don't want to say problem, part of the issue is that because Feld sells or buys the commercial time for Supercross, they are too busy promoting their sponsors 
that pay the money and too busy trying to get people into the stadiums where they make the most money than actually showcasing the sport. Now, I don't blame them because they are buying the TV time. It is up to them to do what they want. But I feel like it may hurt the exposure of the sport. Do you feel like that? Am I am I, I onto something? I, I don't know. I feel like I feel that exactly. Because um, at the end of the day, if they're not growing the sport, they're not helping themselves at all. You know what I'm saying? That yes, they but only I'm... get bigger by growing the sport. Now, is their primary goal to grow the sport? Absolutely not. Their primary goal is to put butts in seats, make money. Right, as any business. Sell tickets. Yes. And and you know what? They're a company, and that's that's what their goal is, and that's what they should do. And mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, for every ticket they sell, that helps keep me paid on the 1st and 15th of the month. So I'm all for it. Like, you know, as, right. long, as long as they're – if they're making money, then they're hosting races, then Cowie's participating in the races, then I'm getting paid. Yes, I've been, I've been around since before <laughs> they really owned the series, and they've done a great job growing it, no doubt about it. So – but should growing the sport be their primary mission? I don't know. Should it, it's hard yeah. to say. If they were a public company, absolutely not, mm-hmm. because then they have to answer shareholders, and dollars and cents has to be their number one goal. Yeah, because they're a private company. Yeah, they're able to make some sacrifices for profit to help grow the sport. Mm-hmm. So, I you know I personally think MX Sports and Felder doing a great job. Can it be improved? Absolutely. You know, yeah. nothing's perfect. Right. And. Well, but this, this, I, but yeah. I don't want to be in Dave Prater, uh, Todd Jandros, or, or Davey Coons' shoes. Dude, like, I can't imagine how those guys sleep at night trying to think. You know, they're trying to think of newer, better ways to do stuff every day. Mm-hmm. And they're just getting pounded over the head by, well, you're doing this wrong and you're doing that wrong. By the same people who, who are then go out and buy the tickets and come to the races. And you're like, well, wait a minute, you, I don't yeah. get it. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is a no a no-win situation. You're right there. There, There is one thing that's perfect, though, Monster, and that's this podcast. Oh, of course. <laughs> I think it actually went on a little too long. I talk too much. <laughs> hey, uh, uh, one last question. Energy drink money. Um, what do you think about it? Is it all good for the sport? More the merrier? It spends just like everything else. <laughs> no. Um, I, I think it's good for the sport. I, I think the energy drinks in general have done a great job attracting a younger audience. Yeah which is good because that helps the sport grow because as that younger audience ages, then, you know, that sport's going to continue to age with them, you know, and, and then the energy drinks are still going to keep hitting the younger group. Mm-hmm. So you're growing your, you're growing your fan base. I, I think the energy, energy drink money is, is good for the sport. Right. And well, I guess I, of course, my nickname is Monster Tom, so what other yeah. answer did you expect? I, wor- I, I worded it a little bit different. I'm just worried that we're too dependent on it, I guess. But, we, and, you know, but hey, whatever works. We were once dependent well, on I mean, Wrangler and Coors Light, I guess. Well, NAS- NASCAR was dependent on Winston money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And from 72 till uh, 2000 again. Wow. 98, I think. Or, yeah, maybe 2000. No, it, 2000, I believe. Two, maybe even a little bit later than that. Maybe 2001, 2002. That's a long, that's a long but, deal. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, well, this will tell you everything you need to know. R.J. Reynolds, which owned the Winston brand, mm-hmm. started a company called SME, Sports Marketing Enterprises. Mm-hmm. Key Wayne Mar- Robertson was the, the uh, president of that for the longest time. Great marketer, awesome guy. The budget for SME, which was just the marketing arm of R.J. Reynolds' yep. tobacco brand, yep. is higher than... All of Supercross, like yeah. take every team's budget, every OEM's budget. Yeah, 
just marketing. Yeah, their marketing arm <laughs> had more money than I can imagine, everybody huh? in Supercross. I can imagine. And they that. still weren't growing at an outrageous rate. Right. This is, you know, like. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good point. That's, that's, uh, that's funny. Hey man, well th- thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. Uh, good, uh, no problem good at all. Times. I know your tyrant of a boss, Tony Gardia, is probably just just steaming right now. <laughs> Luckily, he's been out at lunch this whole time. So oh, he good. has been. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> uh, Tony Gardia, one of the good guys in the sport, no doubt about it. Great, great guy. Absolutely. Um, uh, I guess he's uh, got himself a nice little empire there, and Scott Rogner, and yourself, and Ashley, and uh, yeah. Oh, what about Mini Monsters? Can't forget Brandon. Oh yeah, Brandon. He's been sit- he's been sitting in the office next next door here laughing the whole time. He's like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I forgot about I forgot about Brandon. I don't tell him I said that though. Um, Brandon, he forgot about you. Uh, uh, good good times though there. At <laughs> no, next level. no vest this week for you. That's, that's that's what I'm hearing. That's the word. That's the word on the street. Uh, hey man, thanks very much. Uh, I appreciate it. I guess the next time I'll see you will probably be uh, maybe Paula. Or, uh, Paula Raceway. Actually, uh, you're going to get an invite uh, to uh, something going on. I think it's going to be the Wednesday before Paula. So, uh, wow, what's going we'll, on? We'll definitely want you to have it out there. We've talked about it in the past, and I don't want to break it up. We can't talk about it on the podcast. Oh, it's oh, oh. Is that the thing that we talked about before? Okay. Yeah. Um, Wednesday before Paula. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, I think I, I, think I can do it. Um, well, cool, man. Well, thank you, Tom McGovern, for coming on the BTOsports.com racer x podcast show always a good talk and uh hopefully we enlightened a few people today uh, let's hope so <laughs> they, or they all could be dumber for having listened Who yeah knows? yeah exactly hey stay on the line uh i'm gonna i'm gonna uh talk to you about something else so cool. all right thanks bud yep this has been the btosports.com podcast show brought to you by racer x don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I had pulled pitch and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX on the iTunes Store to enjoy these and many more great podcasts.